Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. As usual, we have a really uh, dynamic uh, guest that I've invited to talk today. Um, We have Reverend Dr. Paula Stone-Williams. Uh, Welcome, Paula. It's good to be with you, Brian. Glad to have you. Um, Dr. Williams is an internationally known speaker on gender equity. Some of you may have seen uh, from uh, the posting on our website and on LinkedIn uh, a link to um, Paula's um, TED Talk. Um, uh, She is known for LGBTQ advocacy and religious tolerance. Uh, She's a pastor at the Left Hand Church and a counselor in uh, Boulder, Colorado. So she's been featured and is an expert um, on matters of gender equity and and uh, transgender issues. Um, And uh, the famous TED Talk that I um, posted was the one on I live both as a man and a woman. And here's what I learned. And so um, I've I've listened and I know. Uh, Paula, before we finish, I want you to tell everybody about the forthcoming book that you have um, uh, that is going to be released this summer. Um, but I've, I've been really anticipating our conversation today. And um, I, I, one thing, I, there were a few things I wanted to um, just bring up that you mentioned in your TED Talk. Um, and especially for you, someone, I, I am a professor, I, I teach individuals who want to be principals. And, um, and so one, one area that you mentioned um, was about, um, about your, your experience with reviews. And uh, you mentioned, you said, I never had a bad review. And then that changed suddenly. And so my question to you that I was curious about was, what does that look like on the ground? Like, what what does that actually look like? What starts to happen or what started to happen to you that didn't happen before you identified as a woman? So you you had experience as a man, you had great reviews, CEO of a major uh, company, and then that all shifted. What did it look like? What did those sudden review changes start to look like? In my case, it was actually very, very specific to the circumstances. At the time, there were only 21 states in the United States where you could not be fired if you were transgender. Now, of course, it's all 50 where you cannot be fired if you're transgender. But still, to this day, in all 50, you can be fired if you're transgender and you work for a religious corporation. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing to know. So I had been with a religious corporation as their CEO in New York for 35 years. 
we had grown from a tiny organization with a budget of about 100,000 to a nationwide organization with a budget of 4 million. I was the editor at large of a national magazine. I spoke in some of the largest churches in the U.S. And all of that was gone literally overnight. And wow. it was gone overnight just because I came out as transgender, not even because I transitioned, but just mm. because I came out. Mm-hmm. Now, that was specific to my circumstances then. On the other hand, now that I'm living as a woman, I see so many ways in which I am not treated the way that I was once treated. For instance, I'm on a board of a nonprofit, and it's a large nonprofit. And we have a large conference and had a new CEO. And so in a board meeting, we were saying, well, do we want to have that CEO do a keynote for the conference? And I said, well, you know, it's, she's not a speaker by by trade, and you know, I think it would probably be better if we interviewed her. I'd be happy to do that. But if you do want her to give a keynote, I will be happy to coach her. At which point, a powerful white male in the room said, well, if we're going to do that, why don't we hire a real coach? Now, I, I waited mm. for someone to speak up on my behalf. A lot of people knew my circumstances. Nobody said a word. What I wanted to say was, um, you know, I've done three TED Talks. I've coached mm-hmm. TEDx speakers. I'm a speaker's ambassador for TED. I have mm-hmm. taught speech in three universities, two in the United States, one in Europe. What about that doesn't make me a real coach? Mm-hmm. But one of the mm-hmm. things I've discovered is as a woman, you are not judged in the aggregate body of your work. You're only judged on the one reason that the powerful people in the room think that you're there. And on that particular board, their understanding was that I was an expert in religion. In fact, I used to teach a doctoral course, Current Trends in American Religion. And so on this guy's perspective, I was an expert in the realm of religion, but certainly mm-hmm. I couldn't have multiple areas of competency. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is so frustrating because I see that all the time. I just two weeks ago was in a meeting where we were, I was there as a participant uh, but not as an expert necessarily, talking about the field I worked in for 35 years. And they were puzzling over what to do with a particular circumstance. And I said, well, here's what I would suggest from, from my work. And they resoundingly ignored it. And we get to the end of the conversation when another person said, um, well, why, why wouldn't we listen to the person who literally wrote the book on this subject? And they're like, oh, who would that be? And then the person um, said, well, that would be Paula. She actually has written two books on this subject. (laughs) And I'm like, "Um, well, yeah, actually, that's true. So that I find to be incredibly frustrating. Sure, sure, sure. Well, you know, you you say a lot of things that uh, resonate with me now. And and even when I think back to um, your example that you gave about uh, being on the airplane, we could probably trade stories about how people treat you on airplanes, about your, about your seat and not your seat. Um, but you, you also mentioned, you said something that, was, that really resonated with me, and I'm sure probably a lot of other people, that the more other people doubt you, the more you start to doubt yourself. And so, you, you know, what I find is that I have to remind myself that, um, that I do know what I'm talking about in this case, um, and there's no reason for me to doubt it. So you talk about writing the book. Uh, there, there are things that um, where just like what you you mentioned um, in the, in that past story, where I have been the um, a panelist 
um, on a topic where someone else was billed as the expert and the person kept referring to my work and it was really awkward, but um, you know, that, but that, that point that you make about um, what happens when, when people doubt you constantly, what, what's been your experience with that? You know, I do not believe that gender is a social construct. So I'll say that right up front. I think we have a predisposition before experience to certain Mm. kinds of behaviors. And so I think that there are things that are more stereotypically male and more stereotypically female. That said, I am literally uh, shocked. I think it's one of the biggest surprises to me is how much confidence I could have lost in just seven years' time. I mean, Mm. I was a powerful, well-educated, white American male, and it just did not take any time at all for me to begin questioning myself. Mm -hmm. When people treat you as if you don't know what you're talking about, you begin to question whether or not you do, in fact, know what you're talking about. You don't speak up as quickly, tend to self-doubt a little more often. And one of the biggest things I do is I say I'm sorry. If I know I'm mm-hmm. right, I will say, I'm sorry, but I don't think these numbers add up. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, you don't have to apologize for being right. But you know, my loss of confidence is, um, well, the word staggering comes to mind. I think that's a bit of an overstatement. Mm-hmm. But the truth mm-hmm. is, I'm still an alpha person, and I brought a mm-hmm. lot of entitlement with me when I transitioned. Mm-hmm. I still know how to control a room. But all of that being a given the loss of confidence is really substantive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so you, you mentioned for that reason, mm -hmm. go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say for that reason, I find myself working with women wanting to very much uh, help them in their own confidence that they've got this, you know, you've got this, know what you know. Uh, because I actually need that same encouragement myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you just mentioned that you you said I you know I still know how to command a room. I'm an alpha person. What what's your experience with when you were that same person as a man, and then now that you're a woman? You know, we we all heard uh, a few years back the way um, uh, Hillary Clinton spoke about that as well. Um, that so men are viewed one way when they are confident and and secure and knowledgeable and then and and in control, but women are viewed another way. What's what's been your experience with that? Well, yeah, there's a word for for a woman who's strong and powerful, mm-hmm. and it's a rather pejorative term. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that that is in fact my experience is people are not comfortable. You know, I, one of the things I think I took for granted as a man, particularly as a, as a white man, and one of my daughters is brown and my daughter-in-law is brown. Um, my son-in-law is a black man. And all three of them, no problem in saying to me, yeah, do you finally now understand just how much every single meeting and every single location and every single room has been tailor-made for mm-hmm. the white men in the room? The rest of us have to give up a part of ourselves at the door. We have to give up our gender or our accent or our ethnicity Mm -hmm. or some other part of our core being. We have to give up when we walk through that door. And that, for me, has been a 
a difficult wake-up call to realize how, of course, I was comfortable in every room as a man because all of those meetings were designed for me. Mm-hmm. And now, as a woman, that's not the case. As a transgender woman, it's particularly not the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that. And, you know, what, what came to mind when you, when you spoke about your, your family members uh, pointing out various uh, ways that um, they've experienced similar um, uh, offenses. Um, I just wonder what it is that you know when we when we see that we have um, issues that come up and 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 we want to we want to bring them to the forefront. Uh, we're seen as anti anti-white male in some cases. And uh, a lot of backlash has happened really over the last four or five years um, because of what is perceived when you point out privilege, uh, what is perceived as anti-whiteness. Um, I, you know, I, I've seen that a lot. Um, and, and so there's this back and forth. So the pendulum uh, especially in some rooms where this discourse is happening, goes back and forth where um, people are very, very critical and sometimes overly critical, uh, but then goes back to, well, um, um, you know, it, you're beating up on uh, people who didn't have anything to do with it. And, of course, I think that's ignoring, um, you know, multigenerational transmission process or cultural mm-hmm. transmission process. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think we have a responsibility as a nation uh, to understand what our nation began, the very underpinnings of the nation. And I personally feel like we have got to move in the direction of reparations, but that's just my own personal perspective. A greater concern of mine is how do we communicate in these polarizing times where it's getting mm-hmm. worse and worse and worse. Right. I agree with uh, the moral psychologist Jonathan Haidt in The Righteous Mind where he says people will change their minds on a subject, but not unless information comes to them in a non-threatening way. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I try to do in all of my TED Talks, uh, all three of them or any of the other presentations I do, is to tell a story because I believe we're story-based creatures. And if we are able to tell our narratives, people might hear the story and we might be more willing to listen to their stories. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I always will tell my narrative on all, all of those settings. And I think it gives people an opportunity to get past this automatic reactionary perspective that is just so true in these polarizing times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, one of the things Absolutely. I think of as a transgender woman is that if in fact um, I can get in front of a conservative evangelical audience, which is very, very opposed to our population and, mm-hmm. and right now has been behind the uh, the 28 different bills that are pending in, in various state legislatures to take away trans rights. And so I always think if I can get in front of those people, um, I'll accept invitations to evangelical or even fundamentalist churches. Uh, I have gone to evangelical universities. And as long as I feel safe in those settings, I'll go. Because if you have to spend time with me, you're going to find that I'm a relatively normal human being. Sure, um, sure. Roughly as healthy or as unhealthy as you are. And if you can see that, you know, then we can begin to, to close this difficulty that's, that's um, been created. Because I don't know exactly what to do with cancel culture. Uh, I, I believe that um, most 
of the arguments against it are just one more version of white supremacy speaking up. Um, but that's not always the case. I myself have experienced a cancel culture from some within the trans community because of particular mm. positions I hold. You know, mm-hmm. I commonly say that I don't feel 100% like a woman. I feel 100% like a transgender woman. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some uh, that, that don't like when I say that, but I believe that cisgender women understand things I will never understand. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think it's important for me to say that. But I also say it's important that I'm only speaking for myself in those settings and not for our entire community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Well, you know, um, uh, for those of you who are just joining us, you've reached the Perkins platform where we have Reverend Dr. Paula Stone Williams talking about the pervasive role of gender in our daily lives. And um, we, you know, I, I want to shift a little bit and, and talk to you because I, um, I one one other thing that I heard you say in one of your talks was that, you know, you um, you thought you were one of the good guys, Um uh, when you identified as a man, and I, um, the same, um, and, you know, that's one of the things I, you know, kind of pride myself on. I, you know, grew up in a house uh, with a, with a lot of women, and I um, have four girls myself, and so I, you know, I kind of advocate for um, women's rights, and um, uh, I, you know, so I'm one of the ones that's most likely, I always say I'm one of the main ones that's most likely to make mistakes because I think I'm one of the good guys. Um, and you said what you didn't know was what you, it's like now you didn't know what you didn't know as a male, you know. So is what, what are some of the things that that you kind of discovered first Um as as you um, identified as a woman and 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 people began to see you outwardly as a woman, um, what were some of the things that you you noticed first that men did um, that that they didn't used to do? Probably the worst is being interrupted, and we know for a fact that men interrupt women twice as often mm-hmm. as they interrupt other men. Mm-hmm. And initially, I would just let it go. And now I don't. Now mm-hmm. I'm far more inclined to say, excuse me, I wasn't done yet. And even more often, uh, I will stop interrupters from interrupting other women. And I've discovered that it makes it easier on the other woman if you stand up on her behalf. And if you do that once or twice, people stop stop interrupting. So mm-hmm. it's not uncommon for me in a meeting to say, oh, excuse me, I don't believe she was done yet. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, also something I know I did. As a man, I was an interrupter. Mm-hmm. And I actually know I still do it. And I hate that I do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was just talking to one of my coworkers about this uh, the other day, and she said, I don't think I've seen you do that in a staff meeting uh, since we've been working together, which is for the last year And I said, oh, you just made my day uh, because that has been a very difficult habit for me to break, Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly after I've experienced that you think, my God, I would be a little bit better about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is, I think, the first thing I noticed is how much I was uh, interrupted. The second 
is how often I am just abjectly ignored. You know, I was flying from L.A. to Honolulu. I know it's tough, but somebody has to do it. And, and we were on a, a flight that was extremely bumpy. And the woman mm-hmm. next to me was getting frightened. And she said, wow, this, this is like the bumpiest flight I've ever been on. And I said, yeah, that's because we're on an Airbus 321. And an A321 is a little bit underpowered for this trip. And so actually <laughs> he's got to burn off some fuel before he can get up above the weather. And she looked at me like I had three heads. So the male flight attendant comes by, and she says to him, why is it so bumpy? And he said, because ah, we can't get up above the weather yet. And she said, oh, okay. And I thought, no, no, wait, 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 just a minute. I just, I just said explained that. why we can't get above the weather yet. But no, you don't want sure. to hear it from me. You want to hear it from a man. You know, sure. that is just routine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure, sure. I I it's, I identify with so much of what you said, uh, particularly around the the doubting and and people not taking your word for it. But I need to hear it from somebody else. I gotta uh, I, I to verify it. That's um, that's fascinating. Um, so Paula, tell us a little exactly, bit about yeah. yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit about. No, you I, I mentioned. Um, at the beginning that you are a pastor. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now um, and um, about your, your forthcoming book. Um, I think it's supposed to be released in June or July. It'll be out June 1st. It's published okay. by Simon & Schuster. It's called mm-hmm. As a Woman, What I Learned About Power, Sex, and the Patriarchy After I Transitioned. Mm -hmm. So the first half of the book is my story. It's the narrative of my experience. And then the second half of the book, uh, I talk about gender inequity, uh, things I wish I could have told Paul, which was my name before I transitioned, uh, things that I want to tell women about standing up for themselves, a couple of chapters about religion and why religion behaves the way it does in our current American environment, and then another chapter about the difference in sexuality between uh, your sexual being as a male and your sexual being as a female, Mm -hmm. which is actually my favorite chapter of the whole book. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Mm -hmm. yeah, that'll be coming out uh, the 1st of June, uh, so it already can be pre-ordered at Simon & Schuster or on Amazon or any place else. Uh, So I'm excited about that uh, coming up. I've been working on it for a long time. And yes, I'm one of the pastors at Left Hand Church, which is a new post-evangelical church in the greater Denver area. It was started by two other a larger post-evangelical churches in Denver, and interestingly, by another in Brooklyn, Forefront Church in uh, downtown Brooklyn. I was one of our parent uh, congregations. Um, all three of those churches are post-evangelical, and what I mean by that is that they, they have very contemporary music, uh, they are independent churches, uh, and have a very kind of sleek uh, operation, if you will, like most large evangelical churches do. Uh, mm-hmm. The difference is theologically, our church would be fairly liberal. I mean, we are a Christian church, uh, but mm-hmm. we do not hold evangelical or fundamentalist theology. Uh, I we see. have uh, great music, great speaking. And in our case, uh, we're just three years old, but we actually have a, a pretty large international audience ever since COVID started. We have about a mm-hmm. thousand people a week that tune in to us. Uh, from all over the world, and that's primarily because of my TED Talks. But mm-hmm. you know, we, we love being in Boulder County and being that alternative for people who like the style of the music of an evangelical church but just can't tolerate the doctrine any longer. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. And I know before we we started, you mentioned that you'd been talking to 
uh, quite a few groups about uh, religious tolerance. Um, uh, what, what are you getting calls about now? Um, is religious tolerance uh, related to gender or is it some other topic? No, not so much related to gender as related to how why evangelicalism um, is as it is uh, and behaving the way in which it behaves. In fact, I wrote a I uh, wrote a blog post about it uh, just a week ago at uh, paulastonewilliams.com, and I saw an article that I haven't finished yet today on the Washington Post on the same subject. It was my privilege to participate in the um, 59th uh, Presidential Inaugural Prayer Service last Thursday, and uh, that ended up uh, causing me to be interviewed by a lot of television, radio stations, and newspapers over the last week. And it was a very, very uh, eclectic group uh, from a variety of different religious backgrounds. There were Sikhs, Muslims, uh, Jews, uh, mainline Protestants, Catholics, uh, post-evangelicals, a lot of different presentations. Uh, All of us focused on trying to bring about equity in our nation, to focus on uh, issues like white supremacy and LGBTQ advocacy, things that have been ignored over the last four years and are still ignored by the most influential religious group in America right now, which is evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Well, Paula, I know we are just almost out of time, but I, I, there's, there's just one other thing I wanted to call your attention to and, and get you to say a little more about um, and um, it really resonated with me in one of your talks, um, and I, I guess my guess is you weren't exactly talking about it in the way that it resonated with me, but um, there have been so many times where um, I have been in, um, in, in situations with, with people in power like that are whether it's a supervisor or a a person who has been the president of an organization or otherwise and something might some this uh, person might say something or do something and just as as much as you have experienced it where no one in the room will say anything and i struggle i really struggle and and sometimes i'll even even preface it with you know everything in me knows that i probably shouldn't say this because of what can happen afterwards but i cannot sit here and not say anything and and so I do. And in some cases, you know, it, it's it's about um, not getting the the um, the food I ordered. In other cases, it's about someone being mistreated. But here's what you said. And I would love to have you expand on this uh, uh, for for my benefit and all those listening. You said the call towards authenticity is sacred. And. I and so what what I the way I interpreted that was that being who you are is is kind of a a real responsibility of yours from and and so I just love to hear you say more about that statement the call towards authenticity is sacred you know it's interesting when you do a TED talk you have to memorize every single line of every single word, <laughs> uh, every word of every line, because the the reason for that is because, uh, like I've heard from women on all seven continents about that first talk, so you really got to be able to, to work across cultural lines. 
So I was having a hard time remembering one section of it. And the night before the speech, I added an extra line. And I went to Briar Goldberg the next morning, who's the head of coaching for TED. And I said, Briar, can I throw this line in? And she said, yes. And it's the line, the call toward authenticity is sacred and holy and for the greater good. Mm-hmm. And I put that line in again when I spoke for mm-hmm. 10 women in 2018 and again mm-hmm. uh, for another TED event in uh, 2019. And it actually is at the very beginning of my book uh, mm-hmm. on the dedication page. I just say to all who believe the call toward authenticity is sacred and holy and for the greater good. And I think, Brian, that possibly the most important part of that for me in giving me the confidence to speak up is the last part of that. But you're speaking up not just for yourself, mm-hmm. but you're speaking up for the greater good because you recognize if we don't speak up for ourselves, we will never achieve racial equity, gender equity, socioeconomic equity, or the possibilities that should exist in our nation. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, Paula, this has been a really enlightening time that we spent. Um, and I, as I told you, it goes really fast. Um, and I'm sure that we'll get a lot of people who are going to um, have um, more that they'll want to know. And we're going to use your your book for my faculty book club. So I'm, I'm already um, uh, pre-ordering a set of those for for faculty so that we can discuss it. And so for those of you who um, are listening, thank you for being a part of our uh, family of thousands of listeners every month. And for new listeners, we're glad you joined us. Um, Come back with us again next week. um, And uh, we will have another outstanding uh, guest. So Paula, again, thank you so much for your time. Wishing you the best. And um, hopefully um, we can get you back in sometime after things quiet down when you release your new book. So um, until we meet again, stay well, go well. Thank you so much, Brian. Take care. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.